This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you very much. And hello again, radio friends. How in the world are you? Well, I do wait for you to answer. I know many of you do. You just answer back. And one of these days in the advance of technology, we may have it fixed so that I can hear you. (laughs) That would be something, wouldn't it? Well, this is your good friend Bob Cook, and I'm glad to be back with you to share for some precious moments from God's inerrant, infallible, eternal word, the Bible. So I count it a privilege, believe me, a holy, high, awesome privilege to share the eternal word of God with you and try, as I sometimes say, to put a handle on it so that you can get hold of it for yourself. You and I are looking at First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2. Paul is giving an appraisal of his own ministry, his view of what happened when he came to these people at Thessalonica. Small thought here. It is highly beneficial for you now and then to back off from your life's activities and evaluate them. Colleges have to do that, of course. They have what's called a self-study, self-evaluation, which is required by the, uh, the accrediting associations every five or ten years. And you take the whole business apart, piece by piece, and then put it back together again. And you try to answer the question, is this college or university doing what it says it set out to do? The accrediting association doesn't quarrel with your aims. It simply says you better prove that you are doing what you said you wanted to do. Self-evaluation. Self-evaluation. What I'm saying is it's a very good thing, a very good thing to back off now and again from life and just say, now, what am I accomplishing? What is going on? Is anything going on beside the rent, as they say? What? Where am I going? What goals am I achieving? What remains yet to be achieved? It's a good thing. So that's what Paul is actually doing here. He's talking to these people and saying, now, I want you to remember what happened when I came to you. He has a number of negatives, of course. He said our exhortation, this is verse 3. We talked about it for a while, you and I. Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Deceit has to do, I didn't try to deceive you. I gave it to you just like it is. Uncleanness has to do with with the, with the character of the person talking. He said, I was prayed and confessed up to date. I was right with God when I talked with you. And then guile, he said, I didn't try to manipulate you. Uh, all of these things are are found in in human nature failings in the ministry, but also in everyday life. So now you come down to the next set of negatives. There's a bunch of negatives. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 6. The next bunch of negatives is in verse 5. He said, Neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know. The old saying, of course, is flattery will get you everywhere. But there is an instinctive reaction in the heart and mind of a person 
when he or she begins to realize that what you're saying is not really sincere. I knew a man years ago who, when he uttered the words, I say that sincerely, you know he was lying. <laughs> the flattering words. To be able to lay it on, as we say, with a trowel. How wonderful this brother or this sister or this organization is. No, it doesn't pay out. It doesn't honor God. There isn't any future in it. And uh, it's, it's a source ultimately of frustration to you. No flattering words. Now take a page out of Dale Carnegie's book and realize that while you ought not to flatter anybody, there's always a chance to say something sincerely uh, to or about a person that is positive and good. I think his story of the cranky railroad clerk is a classic, don't you? There was this man, uh, this clerk uh, in the railroad station who was just as cranky as could be, and he was biting, as we say, biting people's heads off with his, with his uh, abrupt and curt and, and uh, surly manner. And Mr. Carnegie said that while he stood in line waiting for his turn to buy a ticket, he thought to himself, what can I say to this man that is sincere and that will encourage him? So as he looked at him, he saw that the man had a very fine head of iron-gray hair, which was obviously well-kept and, and, uh, and neatly combed and trimmed. So when it was his turn at the window, Carnegie said to the man, who didn't even look up, just said, well, he said to the man, I wish I had your head of beautiful gray hair. Well, the man looked up, actually smiled, and self-consciously patting his, his hair, he said, well, I do try to take care of it. And his whole manner changed. <laughs> well, you can't go around commenting on people's hair. I know that. In my case, you'd have a hard job. Very little of it left. <laughs> go to the barber and say, I want a haircut. He says, which one? No, uh, not that, that that is exactly what you're supposed to do. But when you meet people, there's always something positive that you can, you can say. They said of old Joe Ankerberg, Hallelujah Joe, he was known uh, as in the in the old days in Chicago, they said of Joe Ankerberg, who had a large class of boys, Sunday school class of boys, Joe would notice something about a boy, even if it was only one new shoelace. Now, I was poor when I was a boy, and I know that you, in those days you didn't use a pair of shoelaces. You used one, the one that had broken, saved the other for another day. Joe would notice something about a boy, even if it was only one new shoelace. So uh, when we're talking about flattering words, that doesn't rule out, does it? The effort to say something encouraging. Be an encourager. Notice people. Oh, yes. Notice something about them. And they'll be pleased. But not flattering. Don't lay it on with a trowel. Because that marks you immediately as being dishonest in your motives. And it it simply cuts the throat of any uh, verbalizing of the gospel that you might then try to do. Flattering words. Well, he said he didn't use flattering words, nor a cloak of covetousness. Covetousness. Elsewhere in the epistles, covetousness is said to be idolatry. When you want something 
and go after it at the cost of your relationship with God, that's idolatry, the Bible says. But how often we find people working for their own advantage because they want something. Somebody is suddenly very nice to you. You think to yourself, what does he want now? Cloak of covetousness. Paul said that was ruled out. He said, I didn't try to get anything from you. The basis of true friendship is that uh, you're with a person who doesn't really want or need anything from you. He or she just wants you. I think one of the criticisms that hurt me the most deeply, I probably deserved it when I think of it, but it really hurt deeply, was to get third hand through the grapevine a comment that somebody made when uh, the individual said, oh, Cook only comes to see me when he needs money. Well, that cut me to the quick. And then I began to think, well, when did I go see the individual and why? And I guess I deserved it. You have to learn those things. It's hard to learn. Oh, it's hard to learn. But there it is. If I approach a person only when I want to get something from him or her, I can't minister to that person. You see, because a wall of defensiveness builds up. And even though the relationship may be very cordial, yet the individual is engaged in protecting himself or herself against my presentation of what I want to accomplish. Well, somebody says, Brother Cook, oh, that, that rules out all fundraising. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There, I'm not saying that it's wrong to ask people for help. I do that every day, don't I? What I'm saying is you better be interested in the person. It's the atheist uh, to whom I was trying to talk about the gospel and about our Lord on board ship one day as we both of us stood on deck leaning against the rail and he said, I don't want your religious mumbo-jumbo. I want somebody to be interested in me. I don't want to be one of your converts. I want somebody to be interested in me. I asked Bill Bond, who for a while worked with us in Youth for Christ, a man who had a good many millions in his pocket. I asked Bill, how do you approach people who have money? I have to raise money. I told him, as president of Youth for Christ, what do I do? He said, well, he said, people will never give you a dime because you come to them and say, I need money. He said, you've got to be interested in them and in what they are interested in. He said, when a person is interested in me, I begin to respond. Well, of course. You'd think everybody would know that, wouldn't you? Well, some of us learn it later than others, I guess. All of this grew out of the idea of flattering words and covetousness. When you approach a person with the idea of getting something out of him, you set up a wall of defense that precludes any effective witness of the gospel. Will you remember that? Be interested in people. Yes, of course you can ask for help, pastor, evangelist, broadcaster, missionary. How are you going to raise your support if you don't go out and ask people for it? Of course. But the point is, that ought not to be the motivating force. Concern for people. Interest in people. 
love for people. When Jesus saw the multitudes, it says he was moved with compassion. Splanknizomai is the, is the Greek verb. It means it hurt him at his heart. Hurt him in his gut, really, if you want to put it literally. Hurt him because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. To be concerned for people is the great moving force in giving out the gospel. Well, we get at some more of this the next time we get together. Holy Father, today, make us sincere people, interested in others because of our love for them and for thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.